Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this Feast of the Annunciation, Bishop wraps up his series on the Old Testament readings from the Easter Vigil Mass. This week, it's Baruch's exhortation to the people of Israel to walk towards the splendor of the Lord. Then the seventh and final reading, this one from Ezekiel, which includes a prophecy of a new exodus. Afterwards, Bishop answers listener-submitted questions on topics including tips for altar servers and good reasons to meet with a spiritual director. Submit your question for a future episode by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and today we are celebrating the Feast of the Annunciation. Happy Feast Day. Thank you. Beautiful feast today. What is the Annunciation? We've talked about this in the past, but what's your uh, elevator pitch? Well, Kyle, I'm surprised you don't know what the Annunciation is. Uh... Well, you know what? I actually do get the Annunciation and the Ascension and the Assumption. All three of those mix up. They all begin with A. Oh, no. You're just being humble. You're very good. Of course, the Annunciation is the announcement by the angel Gabriel to Mary that she had been chosen to be the mother of God, the mother of of our Savior. So it's a beautiful passage from St. Luke's Gospel and Really, on this day, we, which is exactly nine months before Christmas, we also are celebrating the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Blessed Mother, because she said yes. Right. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. So I love the Feast of the Annunciation. I always wonder why today is not a holy day. If I were Pope, I'd make this a holy day, Kyle. What do <laughs> okay. you think? I'll, I'll vote for you. <laughs> that would never happen, but I do I do think this is such a great feast. Yeah. Solemnity. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about the Easter vigil readings, kind of preparing us for Easter during Lent, which I think is a nice way to look at these, especially because there's so many readings at the Easter vigil, which we'll probably be watching on TV this year. So far, we've talked about the creation story. 
We talked about Abraham sacrificing his son, which he didn't actually do. And then Moses parting the sea. Then there were two readings from Isaiah. And then now we're going to talk about Baruch. Exactly. But I have a question for you. Okay. You mentioned the sacrifice of Isaac that Abraham didn't actually complete. He was uh-huh. ready to, right. but the angel of the Lord stopped him. So do you remember we were talking about a different name for that rather than calling it the sacrifice? Remember oh. when we were talking about how I think it's the Orthodox, the Eastern churches have another name rather than calling it the sacrifice of Isaac? This is just to see how much you've retained. Yeah, I, my memory ten- retention is not very good. It was something like the obedience of, Close. Uh, the binding. The binding. Of Isaac. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I, w- I wasn't close. The binding. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. That was generous of you. No, no, I shouldn't have put you on the spot. No, it's, uh, I wouldn't have remembered if you know I was in your position, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we learning from Baruch? Which I Baruch, think Baruch, that's, that's something that... You know, I bet most of the listeners are very familiar with Baruch, don't you think? Yeah, yeah we got to memorize <laughs> if we even know that it existed. Yeah. Well, this is a book of the Old Testament, one of the prophets that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with because when you look at our lectionary, it only appears a few times in the course of the year. We have readings from Baruch only twice on Sundays. And, oh, interesting. Or, and that includes the one that we use at the Easter Vigil. So, and huh. then I think in weekdays, masses, it only appears twice. So it's really not well known. And yet I think the reading, the sixth reading for the Easter Vigil is very well chosen. And do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? I think it'd be good. You'd be the lector today. Okay, okay. And I'll be the homilist. All right, sounds good. Teamwork. A reading from the book of the prophet Baruch. Hear, O Israel, the commandments of life. Listen and know prudence. How is it, Israel, that you are in the land of your foes, grown old in a foreign land, defiled with the dead, accounted with those destined for the netherworld? You have forsaken the fountain of wisdom. Had you walked in the way of God, you would have dwelt in enduring peace. Learn where prudence is, where strength, where understanding, that you might know also where the length of days and life, where light of the eyes and peace. Who has found the place of wisdom? Who has entered into her treasuries? The one who knows all things knows her. He has probed her by his knowledge. The one who established the earth for all time and filled it with four-footed beasts. He who dismisses the light and it departs, calls it and it obeys him trembling before whom the stars at their posts shine and rejoice. When he calls them, they answer, Here we are, shining with joy for their maker. Such is our God. No other is to be compared to him. He has traced out the whole way of understanding and has given her to Jacob, his servant, to Israel, his beloved son. Since then, she has appeared on earth and moved among people, She is the book of the precepts of God, the law that endures forever. All who cling to her will live, but those will die who forsake her. Turn, O Jacob, and receive her. Walk by her light towards splendor. Give not your glory to another, your privileges to an alien race. Blessed are we, O Israel, for what pleases God is known to us. 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That is such a great reading. You know, this whole idea, walk towards the splendor of the Lord. Hmm. It'll be Easter vigil. Walk towards the light. And of course, we have that whole symbolism of light with the Paschal candle and everything at the Easter vigil. But let's look at this reading a little more closely. It's really an exhortation to the people of Israel who were in, in bondage. They were in exile. As you know, we've talked about that a lot in when we talk about the when we had the shows on the different prophets. So it's a call here, O Israel, the commandments of life. Listen and know prudence. How is it that you are in the land of your foes, hmm. grown old in a foreign land, defiled with the dead? Basically he's saying, How is this? You're God's chosen people. If you had walked in the way of the Lord, if you'd been faithful to him, this wouldn't have happened to you. You would have lived in peace. So if you just haven't followed the way of wisdom, this is the idea is that the people of God, the people of Israel had received this true wisdom from God and they forsook that wisdom. The whole idea of those in pagan lands, they looked for wisdom where there was none for wisdom and worldly power and wealth and all of that, they failed to seek the wisdom that comes from God. But here you have the Lord God revealed his wisdom to Israel in the law. So they were really blessed and they should consider themselves blessed for having been chosen to receive the commandments of the Lord. Hmm. So why were they deported? Because they forsook the way of God, who is the fountain of wisdom. Notice how wisdom is described in the reading that you just proclaimed. Spoke of strength and understanding, the treasuries of wisdom, light for your eyes and peace. These are all fruits of wisdom. And no human kind of wisdom is so enduring. You know, wealth or power doesn't last forever. And that's really the message of the prophet Baruch. And that on our own, we can't attain this wisdom. We can only receive it from God. It's a divine attribute. God is wisdom. It's something divine. And that's what the author, that's what Baruch is, is really stressing here. How the Lord revealed his wisdom in the law and gave it to Israel. I think it's also important here to to recognize, as many of the fathers of the church did and commentators on this passage, that really this is giving us a glimpse of the true revelation of the wisdom of God or full revelation in the incarnation of his son, hmm. that really Christ the Lord is wisdom. God has revealed his wisdom, not only in the law, but much more in his son. And I often think when I, about a passage from the Second Vatican Council where they refer, the actual fathers of the Second Vatican Council referred to this passage of the prophet Baruch. And this is what we read in the council. It says, through this revelation, the invisible God, out of the abundance of his love, speaks to men as friends and lives among them. It's a mm. reference to Baruch. And so that he may invite and take them into fellowship 
with himself. Notice how in the reading, when it refers to God's wisdom, it says that since then, she has appeared on earth and moved among people. She is the book of the precepts of God, the law that endures forever. All who cling to her will live. And of course, we believe it's the Son of God who lived among us and is the true wisdom of God. I think the choice that the church makes of this being read at the Easter Vigil is because it has to do with we're celebrating, you know, the whole history of salvation as we listen to all those readings of the Easter Vigil. And this is a great exhortation for the people who are about to be baptized Mm -hmm. because they, in a sense, are professing that they are accepting God's wisdom and that they believe in it. They are choosing this very path of wisdom, Hmm. the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom that has appeared on earth and lived among men. They're accepting wisdom incarnate, who is Jesus Christ, who has come to dwell among us. At least that's how I would think uh, would be a reason why this is used at the Easter Vigil. Well, I think something that'd be really helpful is to see how all of these seven Old Testament readings fit together and and maybe why they were chosen as a as a part of a whole message. Maybe we'll save that after we talk about that seventh and final Old Testament reading. But before we do that, we're going to take some questions from listeners. And you can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we've got questions including what tips Bishop has for altar servers and what he would write a book about and more here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who has generously offered to answer questions that listeners have submitted. Someone asked, what tips do you have for altar servers? Oh, you know what? My first tip is, because this just happened several weeks ago, slow down in the entrance procession. Okay. (laughs) Get a little nervous. Yeah, yeah. they're like rushing down the aisle, and I was was like so far behind them. Bishop's chasing me. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's good to remember in serving Mass not to rush. But, uh, you know, we have so many great altar servers, and I always try to greet them. But, you know, it's a wonderful service to be able to serve at the Lord's altar. And I really think, you know, I encourage the servers to take pride in what they're doing, to do their work reverently and carefully, because when they do, they can be an inspiration for people. Their reverence, they should dress properly. They should also participate in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they should be setting an example, especially by joining in singing the hymns and other chants of the liturgy and saying the responses to the prayers. They should really be active participants in the liturgy so that when people are looking there, they see that the servers are part of the assembly, that they are doing the prayers and singing the hymns. It's important that when boys and girls are instructed on how to serve Mass, that 
that they just not learn their little functions that they have to do, but also some instruction on the meaning of the Mass, the different parts of the liturgy and what they mean and the objects that they'll be touching and that they have a, a, a good appreciation or a proper appreciation for their role. So I want to thank all the servers. I'm very grateful that they take the time, and I know a lot uh, really are are very happy to serve at the altar of our Lord. So th- I just want to send out my thanks to all the servers. Yeah, and as the name implies, it is, is an act of service. But I think there also is that role model aspect to it. Like I'm sitting in the pews with my young kids who look up and see these older servers up in front in a like a leadership position as a service position, but setting an example. And if they're not participating, my kids are seeing that. And so right. look, at, look at yourself and say, how can I be a good role model to that little kid that's sitting out there yeah. with, with Kyle? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, to have good posture, for example, and not to be slouching and, you know, all these little things that we might think of them as little things, but some of that can be, it doesn't show the same respect and reverence that we should have. So I think it is good for they recognize that they are setting an example. Good. All right. Another question submitted is, do you have a favorite passage from the catechism? The catechism is such a great compendium of our faith. It's really hard to say what is my favorite. I consult it all the time. (laughs) I would probably say if I had to choose part four on Christian prayer. Well, that not there four parts? Yes. Oh, you <laughs> so mean, you mean just whole, one small passage? Of <laughs> What's your favorite part? I'm glad, Kyle, you're getting back at me here. Everything but the third page. Well, I didn't know you wanted a, you want a specific passage. I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you have like a, one catechism that you go to that you keep tabbed up or do you, always, you have like eight of them laying around? Yeah, I don't really have like a particular like like one of the numbers you mean? Sure, I don't know. You know, there's like 2,000, right? It's <laughs> yeah. something like... Uh, yeah, it's almost three thousand, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I, nothing comes to mind. So, can I get back to my original answer? Okay. <laughs> part four. <laughs> yeah, part four is the shortest part, but it's all on prayer. And okay, you know, I just think it's so rich, Christian prayer and prayer in the Christian life. Yeah, uh, that's that's actually something that you can use in your meditation. It's mm. especially the beautiful reflection on every line of the Our Father. Do you know about where that starts? Yeah, it's in part four. <laughs> oh, what number? <laughs> I have my catechism here. You know, I carry it with me all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> in your back pocket. <laughs> That's right. Well, I do have the kind of the handbook version, yeah. which is much easier. But it it actually the fourth part begins. It's in the two thousands. I know that. I'm going to race you. I'm going to look it up online. No, I'll find it first. <laughs> here we are. Starts in 2558, paragraph 2558. Okay. Okay. And it starts just with what is prayer? And it goes to, do you know the last number of the catechism? No, 2817, I don't know. Oh, close. 2865. Oh, okay. So from 2558 to 2865. Um, well, I'm going to get more specific on you because starting at 2777, that's an easy one to remember, 2777, Okay, that is Article 2 of Section 2 in Part 4, <laughs> <laughs> which starts the Our Father. 
Oh, okay. Is that your favorite part? Well, no. You, well, you were saying there. Like, oh, for looking to, at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Well, that no. That's so two, seven, oh yeah. That's seven, the seven. beginning of the part on the Our Father. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> okay, I didn't realize that. Okay. But anyhow, this is what the Catechism says because I think this is neat. In the Roman liturgy, the Eucharistic assembly is invited to pray to our Heavenly Father with filial boldness. Okay. Filial boldness. The Eastern liturgies develop and use similar expressions. Dare in all confidence. Make us worthy of. From the burning bush, Moses heard a voice saying to him, Do not come near. Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Only Jesus could cross that threshold of the divine holiness. For when he had made purification for sins, he brought us into the Father's presence. Here am I and the children God has given me. And then there's a quote from St. Peter Chrysologus, one of his sermons. Our awareness of our status as slaves would make us sink into the ground and our earthly condition would dissolve into dust. If the authority of our Father himself and the Spirit of his Son had not impelled us to this cry, Abba, Father, when would a mortal dare call God Father hmm. if man's innermost being were not animated by power from on high? So really, it's pretty daring that we call God, the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient God, our Father. We use it's that filial boldness. We can only do so with humility, with the certainty that, that God loves us and we can trust him as his sons and daughters. That's what the word filial right. means, filial boldness, the boldness of a son or a daughter. And we were told to pray that way. Exactly. And we can do that because of the Holy Spirit, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. All right. Well, let's get one more question in, and then we'll switch back to Old Testament readings at the Easter Vigil. Have you ever thought about writing a book? If yes, what would it be about? I can never do that while I'm still an active bishop. Maybe when I retire, okay. I just don't have time. But you know, that's an interesting question. I have so many interests, but I think a lot of listeners, I've talked about my interest in history. You know what I would love to do is be able to research more the early pioneer history of our diocese, some of those missionaries that yeah. I've talked about on this program. I did a whole episode on that. Right. Yeah. I could do, I would love to write a book on that and do research like at Notre Dame archives and get more information. You know, also probably if I had to think of another thing I'd write about totally different is, is kind of like how to be a Catholic in today's culture hmm. and what is, and, and the Catholic church in today's culture in the United States, you know, in a more postmodern, more secularized society that I would lo love to delve into a little bit more. All right. Well, I will buy those books oh, whenever you're ready thanks. to write them. Well, I have a while before I'm allowed to to send my letter of retirement. Well, maybe maybe we can rearrange something. Uh, we can we can get you a, an, another assistant that can okay. help free up some time for you. Yeah. Well, if you could be my auxiliary bishop, that would give me some free time. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about our seventh and final Old Testament reading from the Easter Vigil. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 36. It's 
coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been doing throughout Lent, taking a look at the readings of the Easter Vigil to help us prepare us for Easter. We took a little break to talk about the coronavirus last week, but we're back with our seventh and final Old Testament reading from the Easter Vigil Mass. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 36. Should I go ahead and read it? Sure. A reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it by their conduct and deeds. Therefore, I poured out my fury upon them because of the blood that they poured out on the ground and because they defiled it with idols. I scattered them among the nations, dispersing them over foreign lands. According to their conduct and deeds, I judged them. But when they came along, the nations, wherever they came, They served to profane my holy name, because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord, yet they had to leave their land. So I have relented because of my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Not for your sakes do I act, house of Israel, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came." I will prove the holiness of my great name, profaned among the nations, in whose midst you have profaned. Thus the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when in their sight I prove my holiness through you. For I will take you away from among the nations, gather you from all foreign lands, and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities, and from your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you, taking from your bodies your stony hearts and giving you natural hearts. I will put my spirit within you and make you live by my statutes, careful to observe my decrees. You shall live in the land I gave your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, that's a great reading. The seventh reading of the Easter Vigil, really kind of coming to a climax of the Old Testament. The next thing that happens at the Easter Vigil after they they hear this reading is the singing of the Gloria. Hmm. And it's kind of like the entrance then to the New Testament. But basically here we have this prophecy of a new exodus. Okay, already we've heard at the Easter Vigil, the reading of the Exodus from Egypt. Now we have this prophecy of a new Exodus, that the people will be rescued, they will be regathered or taken back from their place of exile and brought the new promised land back home. And when that happens, there's also a new act of cleansing with water. We think about the first Israelites. They prepared to meet God on Mount Sinai by washing with water to receive the law on the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. So now in this new exodus, God will prepare his people by cleansing them from sin with water so that they can receive his law and his spirit within them, in their heart. So this new exodus will surpass the old exodus. 
there's going to be like a new creation happening mm-hmm. here because the promised land, uh, as Ezekiel <laughs> says later, will become like the Garden of Eden. The people had defiled God's name by their ways. They had strayed into sin. They defiled the promised land, which was a precious gift from God. So this exile was a necessary punishment, but also it was a condition for restoring to the land its lost honor. Mm. So God's name had been profaned, but now comes the vindication. Ezekiel tells them, you shall be cleansed. And the passage really can be read as an announcement of the effects of baptism. Hmm. You know, that's why this is used at the Easter Vigil, because we have the baptisms at the Easter Vigil. And what does baptism do? It remits and pardons all sin, the original sin that we inherited from our first parents and also our personal sins. And so you have this truth foretold by Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your impurities. Just think if you're a catechumen, one of the elect, hearing that at the Mm. Easter Vigil. That's why it's so good for them to be listening really carefully and attentively. And they could hear that word of God addressed to them. Because in just a few minutes after, they'll be baptized. Clean water will be sprinkled upon them and they will be cleansed of their sins. And then that new heart and new spirit that they will receive, it shows the the renewal that takes place. You know, there's a new covenant being established. That's how the prophet Jeremiah speaks of it. But here you have Ezekiel kind of expressing what happens interiorly. I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you. Mm-hmm. So it's really very beautiful. You know, all these seven readings are just wonderful preparation. That's why I encourage people to enter into the Easter Vigil. It's so beautiful. And this is really the final and climactic reading from the Old Testament during the Easter Vigil, preparing all those candidates and the elect and all who are worshiping to really understand the roots of baptism are already there in the Old Testament seen in this reading from the prophet Ezekiel. So kind of looking at the the whole seven Old Testament readings from the Easter Vigil, can you kind of do an overview? It's been several weeks since we've kind of talked about creation. Can you give us the, the big picture? What, what are we talking yeah. about here? Because I imagine all of these were picked out specifically for the Easter. If any mass was intentionally planned out, you know, this one would have been... Top yeah. of the priority. Well, we have the uh, readings from the law and the prophets, really. I mean, beginning with Genesis and the creation of the world and how God looked at everything he had made and he found it very good. So we have this, God reveals himself in creation. And then we move to the uh, a later, another reading from the book of Genesis, the sacrifice of Abraham, our father in faith, the binding of his son, Isaac, and how important it is to to see how how that prefigured Christ, Christ who is the Son of God who mm-hmm. was sacrificed for our sins and brought about our redemption. And then we get to that third reading of the Exodus, how the 
Israelites marched on dry land through the midst of the sea. So you have God's people being freed from slavery, from the persecution of Pharaoh. Uh, so they're being saved. And it's again through water, the waters of, of the right. Red Sea, yeah. the waters of rebirth. And isn't that kind of a prefiguring of baptism mm-hmm. that will be celebrated at the Easter Vigil. And then we move to the prophets. So the fourth reading, we had that reading from the prophet Isaiah, which was really beautiful, about how with enduring love, the Lord, our Redeemer, takes pity on us. And that reading kind of alludes to God's pledge that by faith and through our adoption as as sons and daughters of God, the Lord demonstrates his his love for us. And then we go on to the fifth reading, which is another reading from the prophet Isaiah, and that definitely has baptismal imagery. All you who are thirsty, come to the water. Mm -hmm. Come to me so that you may have life. I will renew you with an everlasting covenant. Really important prophecy of of Christ. And then the sixth reading that we talked about today, Baruch, Mm -hmm how we're to walk by the light and by the wisdom of God, who is Christ, wisdom incarnate. And then finally, the Ezekiel passage about God sprinkling clean water and giving us a a new heart and a new spirit. So actually at the end, after we hear that Ezekiel reading, we have the responsorial psalm. It comes from uh, Psalm 42. Like a deer that longs for running streams, my soul longs for you, hmm. oh my God. That's so beautiful because, you know, the, the, the candidates, the, the catechumens, I mean, the elect, you know, longing for the living water, the running streams, our, and all of us really, our souls long for God. And then, you know, we're moving to that, uh, the running streams of baptism. And coming up, we have a few questions from listeners. And just a reminder, you can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. Coming up, we've got questions including technology as a force for good or a downfall and when to get a spiritual director and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our bishop who is answering questions submitted by listeners. Someone asked, I was wondering how the diocese uses technology to drive our mission and where technology downfalls cause problems to that end. Really, that's a good question. You know, technology is is something morally neutral. So obviously when the diocese uses technology, we want to use it for good. It can help us to get the message of the gospel out to the community. And of course, our 
Secretariat for Communications of the Diocese, you know, has a lot of things, you know, our diocesan website, communications via social media, Facebook and Twitter, and and also even our print publications, radio like this. Sure. I mean, I yeah. guess that could be considered part of the technology. So we can use the mission to teach, to catechize, to advertise events, mm-hmm. to spread the word among the people. So a lot of good can happen. And I think we've done, made a lot of improvements so that this, especially the, so in the area of social communications, mm-hmm. and it's constantly, and as you know, there's always new media being developed. And But the downfall is if people can get hooked on this, you know, and neglect the in, interpersonal relationships. I mean, we see that in families where, or I've seen it where kids are just always on their cell phones or and therefore kind of becoming socially isolated in a negative way where they're not really interacting with other members of the family. That's not healthy or wasting too much time. That can happen to any of us right. by constantly being on the internet. Yeah. What, I'm not just talking about video games and stuff. I'm also talking about you can get addicted to just reading the news all day and trying yeah. to check out every website and I mean, obviously, very evil would be using it to watch pornography. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it could be a downfall, and it can cause many problems. So that's why I think it's important for parents to uh, monitor use of technology by their children. But even adults have to be careful, especially some people can get addicted to this stuff. So yeah. there has to be a balance. It could be used at times, but I don't think it should be excessively used. Mm-hmm. I suppose another way to interpret this when we talk about technology downfalls would be like technology shortcomings. Is there anything that you wish we were able to do, but just quite aren't there technologically right now? Oh, that's a good question. I would say, no, I don't, I don't know. I, that's, I don't know how to answer that question, but it did kind of bring another question to my mind okay. is I find it very frustrating sometimes because I'm not very technological. Uh-huh. So I have to watch that it not become a near occasion of sin, like if I want to throw my computer out the window <laughs> when I'm having a problem with it. <laughs> okay. I think we've all been there. Sure. All right. One of our listeners submitted the following question. What are some good reasons for a person to meet with a spiritual director? And what are some resources for finding a spiritual director in our diocese? You know, a spiritual director is a really good thing because it can be a person who, especially if they're wise, you know, you want to have a spiritual director who has the gift of wisdom. Obviously, someone who has a good relationship with God, has a life of prayer. Sure. And then to go to that person for advice and counsel. But it can be hard to find. Some of our priests are, are have enough experience and training to be spiritual directors, but oftentimes they're so busy they may not have time to have many spiritual directees. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's kind of not easy to find one. I, I don't think we have anything where we publish a list of spiritual directors. Mm-hmm. I think you just kind of have to ask around if you're looking for a spiritual director. But in my life, a spiritual director has been very helpful So because it leads me to do a little bit of a review of my life in Christ, not just my prayer life, but also how I'm living my vocation, practicing the virtues, etc. Now, you get a little bit of this when you go to confession, but confession isn't spiritual direction. There's not enough right. time. You have more time to, to talk about these things in spiritual direction. But I would say it's not always easy. And you have to be really careful. You don't want to be misguided 
by someone who perhaps doesn't have the right uh, knowledge or the right. right tools, someone who says things that are either incorrect or could could mislead you in certain areas. So, so you have to be a little bit careful. So you you know you might want to ask your priest if they have any recommendations, or sometimes if you go on a retreat or something, you you could might meet someone who mm-hmm. might be a good spiritual director. But I think it's a good it's a good practice. All right. Another listener asked, if the dead in purgatory can pray for us, can the dead in hell be sent as demons to attack us? You know, I think we have to be careful there on the premise. Okay. I'm not sure the dead in purgatory can pray for us. Are you? I'm not sure of anything that you're unsure of. (laughs) Kyle, you're too humble. No, the church has no official teaching on that. Okay. We can pray for the people in purgatory, but they don't necessarily pray for us. Yeah, we don't know. There's no church, official church teaching on that. There's no revelation about that. Maybe they can. I I don't know. So anyhow, I just want to say that because that was kind of the premise of the questioner. Well, how about if I reword this because... Those in heaven could pray for us, yes, right? Yes. So if those in heaven could pray for us, could those in hell torment us? You know, there's another, there's a good question here. Are they talking about demons or are they talking about humans who are damned? So maybe you could clarify what's the difference? A demon is a spirit. Okay. So a demon is like the devil is a demon. A okay. fallen angel? Fallen angel. Okay. Yeah. Never was a human being. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a demon. Mm-hmm. So... Human beings who are in hell are not demons. Okay. I guess we usually speak of them as as the condemned, mm-hmm. you know, those who are damned, eternally separated from God. Right. So I think since we don't have any official teaching on that, can the dead in hell, which I presume the questioner is referring to human beings in hell, in right. hell can they be sent as demons to attack us? Well, no, they can't come as demons because okay. they're, they're not demons. They're not spirits. I mean, they are souls without bodies. So deceased humans who are in hell, can they be sent to attack us? I, again, there's no official church teaching on this. Only if God would allow it. Okay. I mean, we know God allows demons to tempt us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the condemned humans or that are in hell. We have no teaching on that. Okay. So, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, the great doctor of the church. Angelic doctor. Angelic doctor. Very good. He denies that the souls in purgatory pray for the living. Okay. And he says they're not in a position to pray for us. Rather, we must pray for them. We Mm -hmm. must make intercession for them. Okay. Now, another great saint, St. Robert Bellarmine, disagreed with St. Thomas Aquinas and said Thomas's arguments are not very convincing. Okay. And Robert Bellarmine taught that because the souls in purgatory are saved, they're secure Mm -hmm. in their salvation. They're permanently united to God, and they have a greater love for God than, than we do, though they're not aware of our particular circumstances necessarily. He thinks that they're so dear to God and they're so holy that they can intercede for us through their prayers. Okay. So, Kyle, do you agree with St. Thomas Aquinas or St. Robert Bellarmine? (sighs) Well, I feel like St. Robert Bellarmine's 
argument of them being close to God and they're on their way to heaven. They're going to be in heaven. So I suppose even if they couldn't pray for us in purgatory, they can once they get to heaven, right? Yeah, but we're so, not asking about when they're in heaven. <laughs> so they can save them. They can save them for later if they have to. <laughs> well, you know, I'd be interested. I think we should take a poll of our listeners. Do you okay. ever do that? Uh, I, we will now. Are you for... St. Thomas Aquinas's opinion on this or St. Robert Bellarmine's. I know the people in North Manchester are all right. going to vote for St. <laughs> Robert Bellarmine's opinion. Yeah. Because that's St. Robert Bellarmine un- Parish. Unfair fight there, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity, for guiding us through this Easter Vigil Mass. I think it's been very helpful and we have more to, yet to come. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Listen to Redeemer Radio Sunday mornings at 10 for a live broadcast of Bishop's Mass from the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. We're also happy to offer a live Stations of the Cross led by Bishop Rhodes on Friday, April 3rd at 7 p.m. Next week, hear Bishop's question and answer session from the recent Rekindle the Fire conference. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com askbishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.